You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and it is getting closer. It's getting closer. It's getting closer and closer and closer. And depending on where you hunt in this great nation of ours, uh, August marks some opening for like antelope, uh, some openers for elk, uh, and September 1st. Nebraska, whitetail opener. Uh, we got some other states where uh, the 15th of September is whitetail opener. So here it is mid-July, and we're knocking on two months until some of you guys can start hunting whitetails. Two and a half months until you can start hunting whitetails. And then three months for me until I can start hunting whitetails. Three, uh, three, three-ish months, yeah. So, I mean, it's getting close. So here's what I've been doing other than procrastinating. I personally uh, just got my bow back from the shop. I got a new string put on it. And I'm going to say this. I am going to be doing a lot of practice with a thumb release this year. And I'm going to give it a try. I've always kind of just put it off and put it off and put it off. And I know a lot of guys tell me hey thumb release is going to give you better accuracy or you're going to have a better true release on it and I've never never I've just never followed through with it I've I've felt confident with a a wrist release a trigger release and that's what I've gone through (laughs) here's here's what's made me go from a, a wrist release to a thumb release and that is I can't find my wrist release. So I'm doing it because I can't find my wrist release. And I have all these other releases sitting up here in my office. So I grabbed one. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to use this, this bad boy. And so I think it's a true fire. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure it's a true fire. And I've been shooting my bow with it the uh, past week. And it it feels pretty good, man. I'm not going to lie. I feel I got to change my peep sight. I got to adjust it. I probably am not going to be using a kisser button anymore on on my string just because of how it how everything kind of lines up and so i don't know i'm really looking forward to trying it out continuously trying to improve my shot and last night i was shooting at 60 which is the my biggest pin is 60 yards and or my longest pin is 60 yards on my bow and i didn't miss the target and I'm not going to say I was dead accurate, but I was shooting pretty good for having a new string on, having a new setup, using a new thumb release, and I felt really good about it. So I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to the next couple weeks, I'm going to say two, three weeks, to the point where I am going to be really focusing on dialing in my equipment, making sure my sights are sighted in, making sure my arrows are flying right, and just going through the the process i know a lot of you guys and i'm very jealous of this by the way a lot of you guys go and and you try to do your um you you try to do your your shooting all year round that's just something i don't do and i I, dude i i need to do more of it i need to do more of it uh but i I just don't do it uh just because i mean anything i say right now is just an excuse why i don't shoot my bow and so I just want to start doing more of it. And it's that time of year where I need to start doing more of it. So I'm looking forward to that. 
Today, it's a, it's, a, it's a happy day and a sad day because my happy, I'm, I'm happy that we're releasing another episode of the fall sessions today, but it's the last episode of the fall sessions for a while. We've done eight episodes now and man, I tell you what, I am, I'm, I'm happy uh, that how, of how these turned out, this sessions turned out. So if you haven't listened to the previous episodes, I strongly suggest going back and just listening to episode one through eight. And that's, that's everything me and Aaron from the fall podcast have done. That's why I called it the fall sessions and just trying to run through real quick, man, we've talked about strategy. We've talked about gear. We've talked about deer behavior. We've talked about time of year. We've talked about tree stand placement. We've tried, I mean, we've talked about absolutely everything. Uh, the, the work, the one of uh, the episode that I got the most feedback from was the uh, episode where we talked about the hunt life balance. And, and obviously that's something that serious hunters struggle with every single year. Uh, so that's the one I've got the most feedback from. And uh, I'm excited to share this last episode with you guys. Huge shout out to Aaron. If you haven't checked out the fall podcast yet, go check it out. Um, it's a, it's a really, really good episode. And so if you are here from the fall podcast, welcome, you know, I have, man, I want to say thou- almost a thousand, almost 900 episodes of the nine finger chronicles that have been put out. So take your pick. I've talked with just about everybody in the industry. I've talked about with just about every serious hardcore guy. Uh, I've talked, I've talked with everybody, man. So, uh, go back and check those out. Uh, let's do some commercials today. What's my commercial lineup today? Today's commercial lineup is the Woodman's Pal, Huntworth, and Code Blue. Yes, Code Blue. I'm going to start off with Code Blue because I will say this. Actually, yeah, it's going to be kind of a little bit of a Code Blue, Woodman's Pal type combo conversation here. But Code Blue is a scent company. All right. They they have synthetic scents like uh, urine and estrus um, and bucks and does. And the cool thing about their packaging process that I really like is it's one deer per bottle or one deer per bag. So it's not a mix. It If you're going to sit here and do a scientific test about the purity of, I guess, urine and, and how they use it or a tarsal gland from a from a single buck soaked in a single deer's urine. The cool thing about this test you would obviously want to do is that deer are obvious are obviously an animal that that uses their nose to communicate, right? And they use sense to communicate. So that's how they've evolved. And so the fact that it's one deer per bag and one deer per bottle is is really perfect when you're trying to communicate with a whitetail because that's what you're doing when you're fixing up a scrape that's what you're doing when you're trying to do a mock scrape and so the the thing that i would just strongly recommend is go to code blue uh codeblue.com code codebluesense.com check out their website and uh, just take a look at all of the scents that they offer i'm going to be playing around with the, their mock scrape kit here in the next couple months i'm, I'm really going to try to get some deer on camera using their mock scrapes and then um, outside of that they have some scent, elim- uh, scent elimination products if you if you're a believer in that go check it out uh, and the i do have a discount code i think it's nfc20 as well so uh, go go check out that for a discount. Next on the list, we have who do we have? We have Huntworth, man. The 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 saying for Huntworth is uh, eighty. Eight, well, it's it's going to be more than eighty. I would say eighty-five to ninety percent of the quality of some of the elite brands of camo out there for fifty percent of the price. I finally got my hands on it. I finally have worn them. Obviously not in a hunting situation yet, but they are they are legit. They are well-crafted clothing. 
They are built to be durable, and I'm very excited to start wearing uh, some of their gear, both camo and sol- solid colors. You guys, if you've listened to the podcast, you know I'm a huge fan of solid colors, and so they offer camo and they offer um, solid colors as well. So go take a look at um, Huntworth. I believe it's Huntworth Gear. and check out all of their warm mid and cold season uh, options that they have and i think you guys are gonna enjoy what you what you find there uh last on and this is where the woodman's pal comes into play so i had a whole bunch of bushes in my backyard for for several for two years in a row now Uh, so three years ago i planted a garden two years ago i planted half a garden this year I didn't plant a garden and so I got all these little trees and bushes and stuff uh, and it just looked like a complete mess so uh, I had to clean it up before our 4th of July party and so I took the woodman's pal out and I chopped all that shit down and it was really sharp and it did a really good job and later uh, actually last week I actually chopped up firewood with it and splintered off some wood and got a fire going with it. So uh, it's one of those, it's definitely a habitat tool. I think it's, it would be perfect if you guys would put it in a, if you're a run and gun type guy who needs to hack something, if you are a, um, a prepper and a planner and you like to have all your stands set before the season starts, this is something that I would keep in my pack while I'm scouting or while I'm setting new tree stands definitely keep uh, keep it in your truck and, and that way if you go out and you need to come back to your truck you have a tool like that it's basically a machete with uh, uh, almost like a circle hook on the back end the best thing to do is go to woodmanspal.com check it out it's a made in america product they've been making it since 1941 it's durable and you it, you can just feel in your hand uh, that it's it's meant to take a beating. So go check out the woodmanspal.com. Uh, after that, man, we're done with commercials. I really appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to listen. Go to iTunes. Leave me a five-star review if possible. Uh, go to Instagram. Make sure you're following me there. And share this with your friends, man. If you guys are, if you guys love this podcast, and I, and I, I get feedback every day from people saying, hey, we really, uh, we really like what you're doing here. Uh, share this with your friends because I would like, you know, I, I would always love to uh, grow the community here that we've created and the more people, the better. So uh, go and go check out all of the podcasts on the Sportsman's Empire podcast or the Sportsman's Empire uh, podcast network. If you, if you haven't heard of that yet, I own it. And uh, man, we got like 25 different podcasts that are on there right now. We just released a brand new podcast called No Low Ballers. Now, I know a lot of the content here revolves around hunting, uh, a lot of it bow hunting, but we also cover some firearm type stuff as well. But on the Sportsman's Empire, we just launched a new podcast called No Low Ballers, and that's put on by gunbroker.com. And the cool thing about that is it's like the history of guns. And if you're a gun nut, like I am a, a deer nut, I know a lot of you guys are, are firearm enthusiasts. You like the sporting shoot, you know, sporting shooting, sport shooting and whatnot. This is a podcast that's really going to uh, blow your mind and very, very cool firearm information. I, I found myself on their first episode really getting into it. So go check that out on the Sportsman's Empire feed and uh, their standalone feed on the Sportsman's Empire as well. So uh, again, thank you guys for your time. Uh, I really look forward to continuing this and uh, it, hit me up on Instagram if you have a story to tell. I'd love to share it. Three, two, one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm back here with Aaron from the Fall Podcast, and this, for a while, is going to be our last uh, episode in this series, right? It's We're getting now to the end of everything we really wanted to talk about. Today's going to be the last episode, um, and we're going we're gonna to have a conversation about what comes between now and, and the, the kickoff of the season. And uh, Aaron, man, I just want to say thank you very much for taking time out of your busy life to hop on here and, and do this series with me. For sure, Dan. I appreciate you having me on and, you know, even asking me to do it and had a blast doing it. And like I told you, I mean, just 
it's kind of my fault that we're ending just because I'm going to keep doing it, but just work life and getting closer to the fall. And, you know, it's just getting, so it's kind of getting hard to get an hour out of your, you know, like we just talking about trying to fit so much into a day, Mm -hmm. you know, cause it's just, shit's just starting to pile up, but had a lot of fun. And this won't be the last one. I I think we're going to, we might even do something on the fall. Who knows? I mean, um, I like talking to you. We, I think we do well together. I get a lot of good feedback from probably some of your listeners and my listeners that are like, I love the fall sessions. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think it's going to be good. Maybe we'll do something in the fall. Maybe we'll do something uh, at the end of next year, you know, yeah. in the off season. So yeah, um, it's been fun, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So, I mean, what's the date today? July 12th. Um, I'm not yep. sure when this is going to launch. It might launch this upcoming week. So what's that going to be? Let's see the 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, 17th, 19th yep. type time frame. All right. And so I want to get real relevant right now. And I want to talk about the, the what we're going to be doing right now up until shit, when the shit hits the fan and it's November. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. Why don't you, you know, and this might go long, this might be a short conversation, but why don't we just start off with what you're going to be doing starting right now and how you're planning up until the season and up until your out-of-state hunts and up until the rut? Yeah, so, you know, as we as we sit here right now, I've got uh, six cameras out, okay? I've, I've started deploying those. Um, just in I'm Michigan? Rant, just in Michigan, okay. yep. Just running them in Michigan. Kansas, you know, hunting public, we can't run cameras there now because of the yep. whole outlaw and all that stuff. But yep. yeah, just Michigan. Um, I'm starting to ramp up my glassing in the evenings right now yep. and trying to acquire a target. Um, I had, I know I had a couple deer make it through last year that I'm really trying to pick up right now on tabs and and figure out where they're at. Um, but I'm really ramping up shooting my bow. Yeah, and that that is like at the forefront of what I'm doing right now, honestly, um, in the evenings, cause the days are longer and yep. you know, it's just kind of relaxing, but uh, I did switch up a release this year because I've, I've shot the same release for 14 years and I feel like any day it could like malfunction. So I'm like, I'm going to get ahead of this mm-hmm. and you know, just, I'm trying to shoot the shit out of that. I'm going to be starting an archery league here, uh, end of July. It goes for 10 weeks at our local, uh, sportsman's club. So, shooting my bow a lot, um, kind of not really doing a lot with my equipment. My, my system's so dialed that I, I, I just, I, I'm there. Like mm-hmm. I feel very comfortable with my mobile setup and all that stuff. Um, but also one of the big things I'm doing is trying to validate, uh, my spring scouting. So things that I found in the spring, whether those be, you know, acorn flats, if they're pr- starting to produce, cause you can see acorns now and fruit trees, fruit trees right now around me, are loaded so um really trying to validate some of that stuff that i found in the spring and try to put a plan together for you know starting those planning for early october hunts that's that's basically what i'm doing right now yeah that i mean and that's a that's a great plan i mean i don't have my trail cameras out yet i took them all down in early march uh when i was out shed hunting and now i have to go deploy them again um I got some new cameras that I'm going to be working with. Uh, I'm going to, for the first time ever, I'm going to try that Cuddy Link uh, system. Uh, In the bottoms of a lot of the farms that I hunt, it's no cell service, right? River bottom ground, no cell service. There's bluffs uh, on, uh, it would be on the east side of the river and kind of leading down into where some of my best hunting spots are. And there's just no, no cell service, especially when you're in the canopy and stuff so i'm really hoping that i can gain a lot of intel like uh, more up-to-date intel i won't be able to use it instantly because i live too far away for it but i think it's going to be good information to have um leading up into a hunt so like let's say all all week before i go to one of these farms just gaining intel about some of the deer that are on these properties and so the the trail camera deployment still has to happen but i'm looking forward to doing that and then after that like here in iowa my the stages are already set right and what i mean by that is i've scouted the properties i know how the deer move i know other than my new property i really think this year is going to be a little bit different due to crop rotation but but not by much 
Okay. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to be heading to corn in the late season, which is going to be like a 90 degree turn. And so my, my gut tells me they're going to be not going out of the north of the farm. They're going to be heading out to the east or south uh, of the farm. Uh, and so, you know, I'm, that's going to be a late season, uh, last minute game change. But just like you, I just put a new bowstring. Uh, I'm in the process of refletching all of my arrows, uh, most of my arrows. And, uh, and then as soon as that happens, man, it's just bow shooting my bow every day, every day, Mm -hmm. multiple times every day, and just trying to get dialed back in the last two years. I've been feeling really confident about my setup. Uh, this is the third year I'm going to be using this bow, new strings uh, added on it. And, uh, I shot it uh, a couple times and it feels quiet. It feels efficient. It feels deadly. And that's, dude, when you have that type of confidence, man, leading up, up to the, the hunt, it's just, it's money. Yeah. And I, I'll, I'm going to go a little a step further on that confidence point. Right now is a great time to start building confidence in your gear. Mm-hmm. And when you can kind of control it, like I said, my mobile setup is so dialed. Like yeah. I was so dialed the last two years and I haven't really tweaked or changed much, mm-hmm. uh, but then going into my 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 bow setup, it's like okay, this release is it's a little different than my other one that I've been shooting for the last over a decade. So yeah. I really need to be second nature with this thing. Right now is a great time when you can control it to just you know build that confidence and and uh, get good with all that stuff. So it's just all second nature. Yeah. Hey, uh, so you're a saddle hunter, right? Yep. Give me some tips on how to become a better, a more efficient saddle hunter, because last year was my, was my first year. This year is going to be my, what I'm going to call my sophomore year of, uh, of saddle hunting. And I'm going to be doing it a lot more in colder weather. And so that means layering. That means, you know, a whole bunch of different things. So give me some tips that, you know, you've been doing it for a while that I can take to the woods with me to make me more efficient, make me better saddle hunter. Yeah. And I'm going to compare it a little bit because I did hunt out of a saddle in 2010 and 11, mm-hmm. um, back when I had like this old trophy line ambush tree saddle and it was very kind of cumbersome and there wasn't a lot of information out there. And then I, so it wasn't, it was, it was just way too clunky and way too much. So I, I just totally scrapped the whole idea. Yeah. So now this will be my second year. You know, I, I saddle hunted completely last year, and then this year will be my second year coming into it. But, man, I'll tell you, the biggest thing that um, I've realized with me, with me that this doesn't mean everybody, is just to simplify things. Don't overcomplicate it and simplify it. And I became an ultra minimalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, I've always said if I have a pack that's got 30 pockets, I'm going to fill each one. Like I'm going to try to, I'm going to figure out a way, a reason why I need something in that, that pocket. Um, you know, I, I went from like a 2000 cubic inch pack to a 830 cubic inch pack, you know, and, and only taking the things that like, you know, I, I'm not taking the things of like, I'm not taking extra release in with me. I'm not taking my knives in with me. I'm not taking, you know, nothing. Literally what I take with me is my, like a grunt tube. Um, a bleak call. I have a, a pocket arm for self-filming my camera sticks and a platform um, and a tree saw is in, in, in a drink. Maybe that is yeah. basically it, you know, and, and the whole deal with my system is simplifying it is like going as far as, you know, breaking it down. For, so like, let's say we're at the tree and I, I put a stick on the tree and then I'm climbing up. Well, I only want to make one trip up the tree. So mm-hmm. how do I simplify that and make it efficient? Well, I've got um, what's called a Doyle's tree hoist. And it's a retractable bow rope that goes in the pocket of my um, my pack. And I hook my bow on that. And then when I get ready to go up the tree the one time, so on a saddle, you can get pouches mm-hmm. and they have like drawstrings on them yep. and they, it makes a loop. So when I, you know, being simplifying it, when I go up there, I dangle my sticks off each side of me using those loops. I don't want anything else extra on the saddle or any other trinkets or whatever. So I'm like, well, those ropes are already there. That's a good way to be able to simplify it. And 
your sticks aren't hitting each other. And, um, you know, so just little things like that. And I take one trip up and then when I get up there and I get locked in, I look down, it's only my bow and I just pull my bow up and it's one trip up, you know, and now a lot of guys, and when you get later in the season, like you said, you know, and, and you don't want to sweat. And, um, there are days when I do take two trips up cause you might hang in your base layers, come back down, put your stuff on. And I do that as well. Yeah. Um, but if I can be as efficient and simplify things as I can, that's, that's the way I want to do it. I don't want to, when I get to the tree that I want to hunt, I want to spend as little time on the ground as I can. Yeah. I got to get in the tree as, as quick as I can, but it's also being like, what's that saying? Like slow is smooth, smooth is, is faster. I can't remember yeah. how it goes, but like being slow and smooth and quiet, it's, it's, uh, it really makes the the experience a lot more fun as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, are you? Do you wear pants or do you wear bibs in the colder weather? Uh bibs. Bibs. Yeah. Now, do you put your saddle uh, on the outside of the bibs, or are are they on you, and then you work the bibs around the saddle? I put it on the outside. Okay. Uh, I just feel more comfortable that way. Um, when I work it, I, I have toyed around with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And I just could never get it to fit right. Like I just didn't, it didn't feel, it didn't feel that good, yeah. you know? Um, but I always, I always run uh, bibs and I put the saddle on the outside. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Um, and then what, like, talk to me a little bit about, so what you'll do is if, if it's cold weather, you'll set up, come back down, get dressed, go back up. Yeah. So if I'm coming, like I run, I, I use a lot of uh, Sitka gear just because, yep. you know, I, I, I enjoy it. I, I, it's really good quality camo um, or, you know, clothing. So what I'll do is I use the Fanatic. If it's really cold, I use the Fanatic uh, bibs mm-hmm. and the Fanatic jacket. So I will, walking in, normally I'll just latch those on the back of my pack mm-hmm. and walk in with those. And then when I, like I said, I'll hang everything, come back down, put it on, and then I'll go back up. That's, that's you know the most efficient way that I, that works for me and that, you know, that it works well. And if there was a way I could find out that I could do everything in one trip, I would do it. But you're, if you're hanging in those bibs, you're going to be sweating. Oh yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Yep. Yep. And that's what usually what I do is I'll go with base layers uh, to the, even in the coldest weather, base layers to the bottom yep. of the tree, set up, come back down, get dressed, like in a tree stand, I can even get dressed in the tree, but, yep, yep. but this year I'll probably have to, you know, get set or get dressed, then head up. So anyway, um, what about, you know, so the gear set, you know, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to be bouncing around in a saddle a little bit more. Um, how many out, remind us again, how many out of state trips you're going to be going on this year? I'm going to be going out of state three times this year, but only one with a weapon. So I'm going to Nebraska. I work for Latitude and I film for them as well. So I'm going to Nebraska for the opener to film. I'm going uh, to Indiana end of October to film and then Kansas in November for my, you know, my only out of state hunt that I'll be doing as far as trying to get on a deer and kill one. Okay. Walk, walk us through the planning, the prep, um, I believe you mentioned uh, before we started recording that you already have your your Kansas dates on the calendar. Uh, yeah. Walk us through what you're going to be doing to prep for Kansas from now until that trip. So uh, going with a big group of my buddies, um, you know, so we're taking five trucks mm-hmm. and it's, it's a big piece of public and a lot of walking around the area and everything. So taking five trucks, we're taking two boats. Uh, taking two kayaks there's a lot of a lot of land or uh, water access if we want so we got all that figured out but as far as my prep going into it is uh, we're going to be leaving on probably November 2nd which is a uh, which is a Thursday so and I can kind of get into the mindset behind like why we're doing that and what we're thinking because uh, a lot of people are like the later you get into uh, November with Kansas the better it gets and mm-hmm. We've all hunted the group that I'm going with. We've all hunted later and and it's good. You know, I've killed deer in, you know, mid November there, but we have yet to do the early November Kansas. So Mm -hmm. that's, we're kind of taking a little bit of a gamble, but anyway, you know, we're going down Thursday and it's going to, it's a long drive. 
So what our thing is, is we're going to get there, you know, Thursday night or early Friday morning. That is going to be like Friday morning will be the prep day of like, hey, getting, you know, getting camp around, getting everything, your, your gear dialed, getting out of your bags and getting it ready so you can just grab and go Saturday, either maybe hunt Friday night or Saturday. Um, we're thinking with that first week of November, there'll probably be a lot of, a lot of out of state pressure mm-hmm. of guys like, Hey, it's November. We're going to Kansas first week, you know, hands down. Cause yeah. that's, you know, and, um, we think there'll be a lot of people maybe transitioning out of the area at that mm-hmm. time because they've been there for the last six or seven days yeah. and we'll be kind of on that transition line. And then, you know, my, my whole uh, strategy is to, is to pick a, pick an area. I've got a lot of pins on the map, never been there. Um, but pick an area and just start walking. And when I can find the most, I'm going to look for, you know, concentrated rut sign. And Mm -hmm. when I can find the most concentrated rut sign, I'm just going to hang. And then just kind of that, that's the kind of hunting I like is getting into an area I've never been to before, feeling it out on the fly and figuring it out on the fly. Because normally I can knock on wood. I can usually get it done you know, doing it, I've done it that way many times. And, uh, that, that is going to kind of be my, my approach getting there and, and getting into the whole situation. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Uh, I only got one. I didn't like you, like we talked about earlier, I didn't draw Kansas this year. Uh, I was, I'm really looking forward to hunting that state. I'm going back to South Dakota. And as of right now, usually plans change back and forth several times but i'm going back to some of the same stomping grounds that i've been to for the past four or five years now and so i have a couple um i have a couple like fallback options to where i'm gonna fall like if i have a i have a piece of private that i have access to hunt um it's it's good for whitetail my goal is mule deer but um, I, I have a, a couple fallbacks in case some of the other spots don't work. But I really want to go try to shoot a mule deer, and I think I'm going to be able to do that. Uh, my, my, God, I just, I'm, I've collected so much data over the past, you know, however many years. So now I'm going to go. I know where to start. I know where to expect them to be. And as, I, and as they start to show themselves, I know now how to traverse the terrain to get to where I need to be to hopefully close the distance on them and, and get within shooting range. So that's a lot easier said than done, but, yep. but I got the information. I know where they live. It's just a matter of getting on top of them. Tell me this, uh, going to a, a place where you have an either or tag, mm-hmm. you can kill a whitetail or a, a muley. And like you said, you really want a muley. Do you ever find yourself on those trips being like, you know, it might be like a 10 day trip and you might be in like day six or seven and you're really going for that mealy. Like, when do you, when do you transition to like, uh, maybe I'll do the whitetail or I feel like it'd be a constant battle every day for me to like, well, maybe I'll do this today. Maybe I'll do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That it is definitely like when you go there, the, the access to the whitetails is so, so much easier because it's all okay. river bottom ground. And usually you can drive within a mile of the river and you can just walk your way right into it and, and find and locate whitetails. The mule deer, they're, they're on higher ground. They're um, in more terrain. And so for me last year, I was bouncing back and forth between whitetails and um, whitetails and mule deer. And I was going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And finally, I was just like, what am I doing? I even watched a 125-inch 10-point whitetail. And, out, you know, that's a pretty good, decent whitetail out there. Really good mass on him. Bed down in some cattails. And I left him because I was like, Man, I, 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 so I'm hunting whitetails. I finally find a good whitetail buck. He comes in. I know exactly where he's bedded down. I could either maybe potentially put a stock on him or I could have, um, you know, flanked him, got downwind to him, and just waited for him to stand up and head back to the fields. And it's all on, on, on public. And I left him because as I'm sitting there, I'm going, like, you're driving all this way to hunt mule deer and now you're going back to whitetails. So I had to have a little bit of come to Jesus moment with myself and just be like, Hey, listen, you got, if you want to, if you ever want to kill a mule deer, you got to hunt mule deer. And so 
uh, I had last year was a battle because the access is just way easier for whitetails. Yeah. And I can see by your demeanor and that you kind of kick yourself in the butt mm-hmm. for not going after the whitetail. Now, hypothetically, if that happens to you again this year, are you going to go after that whitetail? I mean, probably, but here's the thing. I probably won't see many whitetail to where I'm going. So okay. the goal is to just go to mule deer country. Like in mule deer country, you don't see a lot of whitetails. You might like, right. through a spotting scope on some pivot somewhere, but I'm going to be in mule deer country. And that's the, that's the goal is to go hunt mule deer in mule deer country. And, and then the fallback is, okay, it's day eight. I got to leave in two days. I need to get, I need to come back and hunt. Um, I need to come back and hunt uh, uh, some whitetails. I'm going to go try to some of those fallback spots that I have access to. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to transition a little mm-hmm. bit out of the meal deer talk, just because you made me think about this mm-hmm. and, you know, going, you know, as we sit right now, you, you said you don't have your cameras out yet, which is fine. I mean, there's no, everybody else has got their own internal clock and yep. when they need to get their cams out and everything, when is the day where you're like, okay, I'm falling behind. Like I need to get cameras yeah. out. Like I like I'm, I'm, I'm behind the eight ball. Like when do you shoot for having your cameras out and, and should be getting that Intel or that uh, itinerary or not itinerary, but getting, you know, you know, what bucks you have out there and everything. Yeah. So for me, I, I really like to have my cameras out June 1st and usually it's only a couple over mineral. All right, just to get an inventory and just because I love watching deer grow, okay? Mm-hmm. When I make my transition, let, let's, say, let's say it's a perfect year and I was able to get my, um, my cameras out in June, all right? So all of June, all of July, most of August is a velvet over mineral station type scenario. Then I'll go in late August, early September, And then I adjust those trail cameras or add more trail cameras into the fence crossings, into the pinch points, into the historically good rut funnels that are, is going to produce the most pictures of deer period. And so I usually do that at that time of year, but this year I'm just behind because of schedule, you know, and at kids activities and all that stuff. So my goal is to get cameras out in the next couple weeks into all of the, the, the historically good, uh, fall funnels. So I can just go and check them after the season is is over. Right. Yeah. All the, all the easy ones, like I can drive a truck up to, or my e-bike up to, uh, those should be able to be, um, I should be able to get to those fairly easy and then check them real quick and then get some Intel. But now that I have, uh, you know, I have a couple cell cameras where I may not need to be as intrusive. And then I have this uh, daisy chain system, the Cuddy Link system. Hopefully that's going to prevent me from having to go back in there. And uh, and so I feel like I just to answer your question, I feel behind right now. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, you know, that's what why I asked, because, um, you know, my co-host, David Riley, mm-hmm. him and I talk every day and, and he's a big trail cam guy as far as, you know, get them out placement everything he's a he's a he does trail cams on a very high level Mm -hmm. not saying he's got a ton of them but he he's he's got a very good approach to it and you know him and i share like we have some cell cams out but him and i share logins so he can see what's coming Mm -hmm. through my cams and and yada yada and you know i might have some cameras that might only take one or two pictures in two weeks you know what i mean and it's like you know, they're not your prototypical like inventory cameras and, and on field edges or like we can't supplemental feed here, but those cameras, I've got some cameras that are deep and they've got solar panels on them and everything. And and my whole thing is I'm putting those there because they're going to, they're historically going to be better. Like you said, like a rut funnel or something like that. Yep. I want to do it now where if the deer do see it or they get used to it or you know, it's just there. And I know the batteries are going to last. So I feel like sometimes I'm turning my wheels and like maybe spending more money in like batteries mm-hmm. or time. Why am I putting them out in July on something that you're, 
know it's going to amp up in the end of October. Well, I, I fight with that like intrusiveness and having time to do it because I have time to do it now. Why not do it now? Because in October, you know, later in the summer, I may not have time to yeah. get out there and do it. So if I have a, an hour to get them out there, so I fight with that. Like, do you ever fight with, you know, the placement? Yeah. It might be like October, November, this is going to heat up, but I'm going to put the camera out in July. Yeah. So here's, here's what one thing, it just depends on what kind of person you are and what you believe in. I believe that I can get away with a lot more going into a July, August type scenario before they strip their velvet deer, in my opinion, and this is again in my experiences and where I've hunted, um, deer are much more accepting of pressure when it's summer, when there's a lot of leaves on the trees, when you know they may not be able to see you, they might smell you, they might take off, but then they'll rebound and come back to the area. You you go do that same thing in late October or early October, once they're hard horn, once they're starting to get more testosterone running through their body, once they're starting to lay scrapes and covering more area, I feel like you can't get away with, with as much there. Yeah. Uh, maybe if it's your first time in, maybe, uh, and then they rebound and you stay out. But if you're checking cameras every week or every other, you know, every week, every 10 days, that's, that has a little bit more of an impact in august or excuse me in october than it does let's say in july or august right yep no that makes sense and i just i just asked that question because i feel like sometimes i'm spinning my wheels like why the heck did i just put that camera there for two months when it's really not going to give me any anything i want but it's yeah you know so how i approach some of them yeah so on this new farm that i have access to i put a trail camera out in when I got access to the farm, it was right away early August. So I went in there and I hung one, two, three, four trail cameras. Okay, and in and and one of them was deep. One of one of them was very intrusive, and I got a picture of an absolute stud on trail camera. I mean, one eighty ish maybe, just junk all over. Like he was he he was one of those bucks that lays out. And then he had oh, splits yeah. and, and stuff. Uh, the tines kind of go out and scoops. He was fairly wide. I'm guessing somewhere between 20 and 22 inches. Um, anyway, stud stud buck. And I never saw him on, I never saw him hardhorn on any other picture. So he shifted, right? So here I am in, you know, I went and hunted that, that piece early October. And I, I never got access. I, I never saw that buck. So, but I'm thinking about him. And so, yep. you know, there, it could be one of those things where trail cameras, man, they make you, they make you think if you, if you're not realistic, a trail camera can, can walk you down the wrong path. I feel like, oh, there's a giant here. He, there was a giant here two months ago. Why isn't he here right now? And you're, you're passing deer that you probably should have shot. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've been, yep. I've been there before. It sucks. Especially when you know, oh, this deer was shot in October 1st, or he died of EHD, or, you know, he got hit by a car, or who knows? Deer come and go all the time. So I, uh, I've been, I've learned to enjoy the information from trail cameras, but not live and die by them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that just comes with time. Yeah. That comes with maturity because I was that same way too. Like, oh, he was there. 12 days ago yeah you know one time in the middle of the night i can get in there you know now i you know i could go without doing cameras mm -hmm. you know what i mean i i really probably could my biggest thing is i'm using them for the historical data yeah. and for them to tell me historically when uh you know an area heats up in the in the fall you know so that's that's what i put them out for and yeah inventory is nice too like i yeah. don't get me wrong i like to see big velvet deer yeah and know what the heck's there yeah yeah i don't know man it's like I, i've also mentioned this before uh, i feel like i love trail cameras i love i love the intel i love the the historical data uh from where a specific buck does but how deer move period right and then on top of that i say on the other out of the under the other corner of my mouth if there was a complete trail camera ban 
I feel like I wouldn't be too worked up about it. Like if they said no more trail cameras, period. I don't think I would be too worked up about it. I'd just be like, okay, now it's time to go back to the original way that I started hunting. And that's not knowing what's in the woods or setting up more observation stands or because really trail cameras cut out a whole part of, of time in the woods. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it, it tells you what deer are in the area. It, te- it, it is basically a scouting tool for you while you're not there. You collect that data without having to be there. And so, honestly, I think it all, the only thing it would lead me to do is hunt more. Maybe, yeah. maybe yeah. do more shed hunting, too, because yeah. I, 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 I want to go look for antlers or something like that. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, with that comes, you know, you become a better woodsman yep. more, more than likely. Yep. And, but I, I I don't let the trail cams the trail cams have never kept me out of the timber for some reason other yeah. than not putting pressure on like a a, a little section because I hunt a lot of wood, little woodlots mm-hmm. you know little, I'm talking about acre to five acres you know um, th- that's where it helps and and knowing that if I'm going in here to, here to hunt that you know there's deer in there I don't want to blow them out yeah. you know what I mean you blow them out they could run for two miles you know and you might never see that deer again so other than that like i've never said well i'm going to rely on cameras and not going to scout this spring Mm -hmm. or scout this offseason i've never done that i've always done the same stuff regardless of what cameras tell me right yeah yeah that's uh that's a great point man i'm hunting the same terrain features right i'm hunting i'm hunting the same pinch points i'm hunting exactly the same deer group it's not like you know, deer are going to move through the terrain the same way. It's not like they're, you know, it's not like, oh my God, this buck. Well, I take that back because maybe it's, maybe it's a a tree over or it's a a tree, but I feel like I'd find that out anyway from hunting more. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. So Kansas, uh, what dates are you going to Kansas? So going to be leaving either on November 2nd or November 3rd. So it's just depends on family and, Mm -hmm. and what we got going on, but it's either going to be one of those two days and uh, basically going to be hunting from, you know, let's call it the fourth until probably going to be coming home the 12th or the 13th. So roughly about nine to 10 hunting days, somewhere in there. Two days of travel. Yep. Two days of travel. How long of a drive is it from where you live to where you hunt? About 14 hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you guys do that in one clip? Yep. Yeah. 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 I, and, you know, with taking four or five trucks with two to three guys per truck, um, you know, it's a lot easier. I, I like driving in the middle of the night. Yeah. Like, if you got guys that can rotate on and off, like, it doesn't matter to me. But, like, you know, 14 hours is a good clip. But I, I let's just get get there yeah. you know we'll figure it out so yeah I, i'm i'm solo right so here's what i do i'll leave i'll leave it like mid-afternoon or after the kids get off the bus um i'll do maybe a little bit of work say goodbye to the wife and then get in the car drive till dark so which is usually halfway close to halfway get a hotel room like i'm i i can't i'm too old it sucks to say, but I can't do this power driving through the night, uh, you know. By yourself is yeah, tough. Yeah, especially by yourself. So I'll get a hotel room. I'll get, you know, six hours of sleep. I'll get back up early in the morning, hit back on the road. So then I reach my destination by and by the time it, it it's time to hunt that afternoon. So I just yep. pull up. And then what I'll do is I'll set up camp in the dark that night. And then I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go for however long especially if i'm hunting from my truck which i usually do right yeah no that's a good plan yeah all right um so talk talk to me about michigan what's the goal goal in michigan this year oh man you got a returning customer Um, who you got your eyes on yeah i haven't got my eyes on them yet i've actually got uh three returning customers one is not unless he makes an absolute blow up Mm -hmm. um one that won't be, you know, he won't be on the list, but, um, there's two that I'm really looking for and haven't yet found them, but honestly, I haven't glassed much. And, 
usually I'm glassing every night and I hasn't ramped up because honestly, in my opinion, with this drought that we're having, now we've gotten some rain since, you know, last couple of weeks, but it's been a bad drought. Yeah. I feel like we're a little behind on the antler growth. You know, I, I not to say they're not going to finish where they need to, but like as far, you know, in the previous years of where deer usually are at this point, we're just not there. Right. Like it's, and so I really haven't wasted too much of my time um driving around yet but uh it's gonna really start ramping up here soon but um yeah i've got uh like i said two deer really looking forward to uh one last year was just a five point but he was like 17 inches wide um you know but he only had five scoreable he was just kind of a funky you know deer i i figured he's probably going to be three this year Mm -hmm. um and he won't be four he'll definitely for sure i think be three and I'm, I'm interested to see what he's going to go into from yeah. when he was last year. And then the other one, I don't want to give too much away because might people that listen to it, they might figure that one out. But yeah. he, if, if he makes the jump that I think he's going to make it, it'll be pretty good deer. Yeah. So in Iowa, I have a buck that I would have shot last year, but I was so jacked up. And I feel like I'm, I, I would have at least seen him from the tree stand. I don't know mm-hmm. whether I would have had a shot at him or not on my main farm. I, I got I got pictures of him in February. So that season's over. He was carrying both antlers. I went out and did a little shed hunting out there. I didn't find anything, all right? Um, usually deer leave after the season's over. They'll go away and then kind of return in the, in the, summer, the summer months. So I'm going to go. I'm really looking forward to him. He could be that, that next booner. Uh, on the farm he was he was he was probably like a one high 150s this year um nice but, but he i'm guessing he was a five-year-old this year so it could put him at six uh, hopefully he shows back up which means he'll be he'll be a stud um and then on the the other farm that i have oh man it's like mature deer central uh, the new farm that i got <laughs> access to it, dude it was and, and i'm i don't mean mature bucks like giant antlers except the one buck that I am really looking forward to is this three-year-old who was probably 160 last year. Ooh. And so as a four-year-old, I'm real like a clean 10. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what that buck's going to do. He was on and off the farm all year. I had, tra- I had the, like, he was first trail camera picks that I had in velvet all the way up until the late season. I saw him when I was in the stand and I'm glad he went out to 150 yards because if I had a muzzleloader in my hand, it might've been game over for that three-year-old, unfortunately. (laughs) Well, okay. That opens up a whole other bag of questions because I got, so that 163 inch year old or 160 inch three-year-old with a bow, would you have killed him last year? Dude, I'm telling you, he just looked so good as a three-year-old. But his body, his body, here's, here's, I can't, I can't tell you yes or no. But what I can tell you is I'm glad he didn't give me an opportunity. Okay, okay, stop you there. Yep. Now you're going on on a state trip, 160-inch three-year-old, are you killing him? Dead. Okay, so let me ask you this. Why does it matter if it's in your hometown or home state to out of state? Because you have more control over what you shoot what you don't shoot you have more control over um the the data that you can collect with trail cameras uh, when i go out to south dakota i have no no idea what deer are in the area right so if yep. i see a 163 year old as a whitetail especially in south dakota or let's just say it's northern missouri or, or illinois I'm, I'm taking that shot because i feel like Yes, my my standards definitely do change, as uh, it's less time I can commit to it. Um, it's you know, I know that if I pass that that three year old and the the habits that that three year old had on previous years, I know for the most part I think that he's going to make it to to four. Right. And so if he makes it to four, then we'll make a different decision. You know, if he's a four year old one sixty, he's going to get an arrow, dude. I mean, I I'm gonna I'm gonna get it you know, have that opportunity for him. So I don't know, man. I I really, it's, it's at at the same time, man, 
I, I, I do so much flip-flopping. I am such a proponent. I know. I'm such yeah. a proponent of do what makes you happy at that exact moment. Okay. So there's days where if there's a lot of deer movement and that one third or that one 63 year old walks out, I'll go dead, but like, or, or no, I'll go, eh, let's see what else is out here. I know there's other deer out here, but if he comes in and his ears are back and he's doing, doing a thing, you know what I mean? And, and I get jacked, then I'm going to do, you know, then I'm <laughs> definitely going to go do, uh, like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot him. Well, and, and there was no right or wrong to that. I was right. just curious because, you know, that's that's the big thing is like, you know, I was talking to a guy the other day and he's he's in Iowa and, you know, a late season hunt. He had like, you know, on a private farm, he had like three 170s out in front of him in the beans at one time and he wasn't shooting them because they were all four years old or five years old. And then he had one that was like in the 180s that mm-hmm. was like a five-year-old all in one time. And I'm like, man. I mean, I get it. If you have enough land to control that, mm-hmm. by all means, nothing wrong with that. But man, I can tell you this, like, <laughs> like you said, it's, it's the, what makes you happy kind of thing. Yeah. But I'm also, I can't, I can't give you, I can't even give you 25% or 30%. I would know for sure. I can get a deer through here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? To be like, so yeah, and it's also that, like, well, if I don't shoot it, then the neighbor will. I don't like to go off that either because if I shoot it, I am the neighbor. Exactly. So I don't really I don't really go off of that either. But just what you said right there is what I was looking for. Uh, in the moment, whatever makes you the happiest, do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? End the story. Just yeah. do it. And sometimes what makes me happy is watching a big deer walk by. You know 100%. what I mean? If yeah. it's a, last year, uh, or no, 2020 right before i shot my uh, uh my 24 inch wide uh buck i'm guessing he's a four-year-old maybe five-year-old buck okay mature excellent representation of iowa right before that there was a 140 class with like a, a little inside point and then a little split off one of his antlers and he had some character and i'm just saying to myself you know what this buck has the opportunity to be something special. And when he walked by at 35 yards broadside, I just let him walk by. I was so ha- I just was like, I know this other deer's in the area because I had trail camera intel. That's why I was in that spot for the wide one. And then after that, you know, when that, when that other one showed up and he started walking by, I, I, I didn't even grab my bow. I just put my binos on him, I, and I didn't even know who that buck was. No trail camera pictures of him. Very, very awesome three-year-old, 140 class, great, you know, great character. And I, I was completely happy with watch, you know, walking him, watching him walk by. The next day could have been a different story. The next week right. could have been a different story, right? If all of a sudden it got dry on that farm and he was the only buck there. And this is what this is what I don't like about the hunting industry per se is everybody says, here's a bracket. You have to kill a deer in this bracket. Well, my bracket is best deer on the farms that I have access to hunt. If my farm only produced 120 inch bucks, I would be shooting 120 inch bucks on the farms that I have access to. So and you, you just change the number, whatever, whatever the, the highest caliber buck on that farm is said farm, whether that's in Michigan, whether that's in South Dakota, whether that's in Iowa, that is what I'm going to chase because I'm not in, I'm not in the, I'm not the type of hunter who just doesn't want to fill, fill a tag as well. I want right. to, I want to fill a tag. I have no problem eating my tag if I know that there's big deer in and I just got outsmarted. But if, if I'm looking and hoping for something to happen that's not there. Like if I'm hoping a booner shows up and I'm, I've never gotten a picture of a booner on this farm, well, then I'm just wasting my time. Mm-hmm. I'm going after the best caliber of deer on the properties that I have access to hunt. And that's what I go for off of as well. Like whether it's trail cam data that tells me that or glassing and I actually physically see it, whatever the top 10% of the bucks are on my farm mm-hmm. or that I have access to, that's what I'm going to shoot. Like you said, the more and more you wait for a deer that you may have never even seen in the area 
or hope that's there, that's, you know, yeah. what it, you might as well not even. And if you want to do that, that's fine. But you might go a lot of years without filling a buck tag, which if you're okay with that, yeah, be all my, or my, by all means. What's the biggest deer you've ever seen from the tree stand, whether you've been filming or hunting? Uh, a 197 whitetail. And he got shot? <laughs> no. He was at 35 yards, and the guy I was filming, when he went to full draw, his limb cracked when he when he went back. Oh, yeah. shit. Dude, this is a wild story. Wild story. The biggest deer I've ever filmed was a 208 mule deer spot and stock. And did the guy get him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he got Same him. guy that the limb cracked on. Oh, Jesus. 197. That was in Alberta. Yeah, so that, that 197 was in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, a deer that, you know, it was a lease, a deer that we had history, like two or three years of history with. I can't remember if it was three. might have been three. I think it was three. And he was just like, you know, he he was like literally almost a 200 inch. He had he had trash, mm-hmm. but he was like 15, 16 inches wide and just had mass and just Junk. a beautiful deer. Yeah. And uh, we so we get into the tree. It's an evening hunt and sitting in this like this rut pinch and there's like a long alleyway and it's like an old there was like an old foundation right there. It was like an old homestead with that trees have just you know grown up over yeah the years and um i was sitting a little higher and looking down this 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 path basically and out about 200 yards away could see a buck and picked the binos up and got the camera on him and everything and i could tell it was, a, it was a good deer it was a mature deer it wasn't him and all of a sudden like i was looking in the camera filming and like i could just see this deer walking in with his with his ears back and i'm like holy shit who's that you mm-hmm. know and then you know we had the deer named and everything we're like it's such such deer and he ended up running that buck off and it wasn't 45 minutes later because he we he kind of he kind of like circled and a lot of deer what those bucks will do is they'll kind of circle and they'll come up wind in this area where we're at because we're hunting right next to like a big draw that a lot of does hang out in everything while the the draw we was a just off wind and the wind was coming through like this and he was coming in checking this whole draw and he comes to like 80 yards and we're like god it's gonna happen and he had a doe down in front and the doe works right underneath of us and we're like oh my god here he comes it's getting low light he's at 35 yards this this buck has he's not gonna bolt anywhere he's not running anywhere he's literally just scanning watching his doe what is she doing just kind of make he's just like eeyore he's just like yeah. i'm just cool with being and when he goes the full draw you can hear it on the camera <clears throat> goes the full draw and right when right when the valley the valley comes over all you hear is this loud, loud pop noise and it is loud i thought it was like the tree stand or something like that popping mm-hmm. it was so loud man and the, the deer was kind of quartering too a little bit, but definitely kill shot, you know? And all of a sudden the deer just kind of turned and he just left and the guy I was filming just let up. And I'm like, what happened? And he goes, I felt it in my hand. He said his, his bow hand, he could feel the pop and the crack in the limb. And the deer walked off and everything. We get out of the tree after dark and whatnot, go back to camp, get it in the light. And you could see a crack on one of the, it was a split limb bow a crack down the whole limb he took that bow and i've never seen anybody throw the bow as hard as i on the ground the bow bounced off the ground i mean just you're talking about a world-class once-in-a-lifetime whitetail at 35 yards and your bow malfunctions brand new bow too what year was that that would have been 2000 and uh 18 2018 was there a big recall from that manufacturer that year for split limbs? I don't know. I never heard. He may have heard. Um, I was just curious. I had. A I'm bu- not gonna say what bow it was, yeah. just because I, you know. Yeah, I got a buddy who had a bow right around that time. He right before a, a big elk hunt, he drew back and it cracked. The the limb yeah. cracked too, and it was a split limb design too. So I wonder if it was the same same deal but 
Yeah. Well, I tell you what, man. Uh, conversations like this really get me jacked for the upcoming season, man. I just want to say again, thank you for taking time out of your day, uh, month, half the half the summer to do these. Um, and we'll definitely have to connect one like in the season once the season's over. And uh, ultimately, man, we should try to plan a hunt together. I agree. I, hey, I'm hoping to draw Iowa next year. So if you got a spot, I can <laughs> hang out with. <laughs> hey, there you go. There you go. Use the resources you have, man. There you go. No, I've got a really good spot. I'm gonna I'm gonna be going back to to Iowa when I do. It's actually where I killed my biggest deer in uh, 19. So I'm gonna be. I've got still got access to that place, and oh, I'm gonna nice. be going back there and trying to get something done. But hopefully, I'm gonna draw next year. So. But yeah, awesome. Dan, thank you very much for that, man, and this and the whole thing. I know we're going to stay in touch and, and uh, you know, maybe do some more podcasts here. So thank you very much. And there you go, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Uh, and that brings us to a close, like I said earlier, of the fall sessions, man. Good luck to Aaron this upcoming season. Good luck to all of you this upcoming season, man. Keep me posted. If you have a, a story to tell, I want to hear it. I want to share it on the, the Nine Finger Chronicles. Huge shout out to Tethered. Huge shout out to Wasp, Vortex, Code Blue, The Woodman's Pal, and Huntworth. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Last but not least, good vibes in, good vibes out. And thank you for the reminder, wear your damn safety harness. We'll talk to you next time.